0: Hi there, my name's Dan, and I'm one of the pastors here at HDBB, and I'm so glad to be with you today as we continue our series in King and Kingdom. Last week, Miles started us off by asking, what kind of king is Jesus? And if you haven't had a chance to hear that, do check it out online. This week, we're going to be thinking about what kind of kingdom does a king like Jesus create? And in particular, we're going to focus on Jesus's famous command to seek first the kingdom Of God. I wonder if you've ever struggled with the question where should I focus my attention or what should my priority be? Slightly that you have, these kind of questions have generated the billion-dollar productivity industry which in its simplest form is about helping people to make better decisions about what they do with their day, which in turn is an attempt to answer the bigger question of what should we do with our lives? On average, each of us gets 4,000 weeks on planet Earth, and the question is, what should we do with them? Now, making these decisions is easier said than done. I often struggle to know where to focus my attention. There are a lot of competing voices and competing demands. Now, two of those demands have little legs and loud voices, my children, and, and they're important. So it's good that they make themselves known. My alarm clock for quite a while now has been a child shouting, Daddy, I need a poo-poo. Overshare? Probably. But there, there are things in my life that are important and are vocal. But there are also things in my life that are important and less vocal. And there are things in my life that are not very important, but very vocal. And it's pretty full on. Like It's reckoned that each of us now encounter about 10,000 adverts each day, pop-ups, paid promotions, product placements, each one making a demand on our attention. Now to combat this, a designer called Ivan Cash has created these in real life glasses, IRL glasses. They look like sunglasses, but instead of blocking out the sun, they block out screens. The theory being to reduce the mental pollution. But while that does work in reducing the demands on our attention, it doesn't tell us which direction to go in. And so for those of us who need direction and don't have a few hundred ringgit spare for some IRL glasses, Jesus says, this is what we should do. Seek first the kingdom of God. And Jesus makes this incredible claim that obeying this simple command will not only give you vision for your life and direction for your day, but also help us combat the biggest barrier we face in this area, anxiety. That's a pretty big claim. Let's have a look at it in context. Our reading is found in Matthew chapter six, starting at verse 22. Matthew chapter six, starting at verse 22. This is what Jesus says. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. And if your eyes are unhealthy your whole body will be full of darkness if then the light within you is darkness how great is that darkness no one can serve two masters you will either hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other you cannot serve both god and money therefore i tell you So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. So what I want to do today is focus in on that verse. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And look firstly at what it means and then look at how we put that command into practice in our lives. So firstly, what is the kingdom of God and why is it so important? So the first thing really to say here is we tend to use the word kingdom uh, to mean a geographical place. For example, the kingdom of Brunei. But the original meaning of kingdom is the right to rule and reign. Elsewhere, Jesus illustrates the kingdom by telling a story of a, a nobleman who went to a distant country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. And this is a bit provocative of Jesus because it's what the local ruling family of his day had done. The Romans had invaded Israel, but they'd not been able to stabilize it. So in 40 B.C., this guy called Herod goes to Rome and he was awarded the kingdom, the right to rule and reign. And they declared him to be king of Judea in exchange of receiving the kingdom. The deal was that he would bring peace to the region by the sword and therefore be able to send taxes back to Rome. Now, Jesus uses this incident to illustrate what the kingdom of God is like. Therefore, the kingdom of God is not primarily a place you go, nor a people group you join, but is the rule and reign of King Jesus in your heart and mind. And then his influence flowing through your life into the world. And so the big idea in the Bible is that having created the world, God called humanity to steward the earth, to tend it, to shape it, to administer his kingdom over it. But instead of being content to rule over the world, we wanted to rule over ourselves as well. We wanted to be our own king and express our own kingdom. And in trying to empower ourselves, we disempowered ourselves and fell out of relationship with God, others, and even ourselves. The good news is that God did not leave us like that. And to restore us He entered into history in the person of Jesus Christ and proclaimed that the kingdom of God was near. His influence, his rule and reign is near for us. That was Jesus' main message. His ministry of healing, deliverance and presence illustrated the kingdom. And then his teaching illuminated the kingdom. His miracles say, this is what life in the kingdom of God is like. And then his teaching says, this is what that means. And his main challenge to us in response, the main challenge in his day to when he said the kingdom of God is near was to therefore repent. Repent, in other words, change your thinking, change your living because we're now able to live again as we were created to be under his influence. So what does this look like in practice? One of the people who has taught me most about what it is to seek the kingdom of God has been my grandmother, Nana Molly, as we call her. My Nana grew up during the Second World War, and one of the things she loved to do was listen to the wireless, the radio, not the Wi Fi. And, and she especially loved a certain comedy radio show called Round the Horn. She enjoyed it so much, in fact, that she started to write her own little comedy sketches for the show. And on the encouragement of her friend Thelma, she sent them in. Now, to her surprise, not only did she get a reply, they replied saying that they liked what she'd written, asked if they could use what she'd written, and asked if she could write some more and sent money for the work already done. So my Nana stumbled into writing for this hit BBC comedy radio show. Now, after a few months, they said, we should probably meet you. So my Nana and her friend Thelma travelled up to London to see the show recorded and to meet the cast. Now, the thing was, the cast were expecting to meet this seasoned comedy writer, but instead met a 14 year old girl who was still at school. This all happened when my grandmother was 14, and without her parents, her teachers, or anyone, except her friend Thelma knowing, while she was supposed to be doing her homework, she'd been contributing to one of the most popular comedy radio shows of her day. And because they liked her work, and because child labour laws were not as well enforced back then, she carried on working for them for many years. Now, as she entered her 20s, she felt that God was calling her to become a pastor in her church. And so she went off to train. While she continued to write for the show for a bit because of the full-time nature of being a pastor, but also the show was a little bit risque in places, she wasn't able to continue doing both. And she said on the one hand, she had this successful comedy writing career. But on the other hand, she knew God had called her into pastoral work. And so if this meant she couldn't do that, then so be it. For my grandmother to seek first the kingdom of God was costly. It meant giving something up. Seeking first the kingdom of God in its simplest terms is to ask God, what is your agenda for my life? What is your agenda for this day? And then trying to be obedient to it. And that is what you'll see in the life of anyone who puts this into practice. To seek first the kingdom of God is costly. So why would we want to do it? Well, in this passage, Jesus gives us three reasons. The first reason that we see here why we should seek first the kingdom of God is because it is a kingdom of provision. Verse 31. So do not worry saying, what should we eat or what should we drink or what should we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. One reason we think we have to not do what Jesus says to do is that we think, I've got these needs. And firstly, we think he doesn't get it. And secondly, if he did, he doesn't care. But Jesus says, God knows what you need. Many of us create in our minds a God of our own understanding who is not very understanding. Your heavenly father knows that you need them. He understands. In fact, Jesus' claim in this passage is that he knows what you need more than you know what you need. What fascinates me about this section is Jesus does speak about food. That's a basic need. But then when he speaks about clothing, it's not just sort of basic protection from the elements. He speaks about King Solomon in his splendor. In other words, it's the need we also have as humans to be creative, to to be expressive, to have passion and purpose as well as basic provision. And I've seen it. Like going back to my grandmother's story, she gave up doing something she loved and was good at, to be obedient to God's agenda, to seek first his kingdom. But then after about 15 years of being a pastor, my grandfather got really, really ill and they both had to step down from leading a church so that she could care for him. And then she was suddenly like, well, we, we've lost our jobs uh, and we've got now we've got these three children to feed. What, what do we do? And so she prayed and then she acted. She wrote off to the radio show. She'd left 15 years previously uh, and just hoping wrote to them and said, do you need any help? And they wrote back and said, yes and they gave her her job back, same as before. But even more amazingly, what happened in the meantime was that the show had gone from strength to strength and was now one of the most popular radio shows of its day. At one point, half the country used to listen to it. She gave up something significant, but relatively small, and was given back in abundance and was able to support her family through this season of struggle and illness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. But while this is important, material provision is important, I think Jesus is trying to teach us something even deeper here. Because the thing we need most in this life, the thing each of us need most, our greatest need in life, is to not be our own king. See, the world says, define yourself, celebrate yourself. You are everything. Be the loudest voice in your own life. But whilst that might sound life-giving, in fact, it is death. It's a burden we were never designed to carry. You are designed to receive those things, but you're not designed to generate them. In fact, when you set yourself up as king, the result is not confidence, but anxiety. Anxiety because we're trying to control that which we don't have the power to control. We were created to rule over creation, but not to rule over ourselves. The most important provision of the kingdom is a king. He says, look, you do what you're good at and trust me to do what I'm good at, which again is such good news because Jesus says, look, no one can serve two masters. You'll either hate the one and love the other. And this takes time to receive, the struggle is real. But as well as giving us the promise of provision, Jesus points to a picture that we can use to remind ourselves of this. He says, look at the birds of the air. Look look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? I think he literally means this, you know, go go outside, look at the birds, consider be a bird watcher. It's the only hobby he seems to endorse. Uh, think about the birds, go watch them, think about how God provides for them, and therefore how He will provide for you. The kingdom is a kingdom of provision. The second reason Jesus gives us to seek first the kingdom of God is that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of love. This is what is meant by seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The easiest way to understand this is to think about it in contrast to other kingdoms. See, when other kings claim a right to rule and reign, it is nearly always attained by force and sustained by force. Think about it. Like, it's strange that we have to seek God's rule and reign. Like, other kingdoms don't have to be sought out. They seek you. Like, you don't have to go seeking the government to be like, hey, I'd like to pay my taxes. No, they seek you, and if you avoid it, they punish you. In love, God offers you his kingdom. He doesn't force it on you. It is offered to you. But even more than that, It's gifted. In every other kingdom, you gain your status and maintain your status by performing well. But this is not the way with Jesus. How did Jesus become king? Not by inheriting it, but laying down his glory and becoming one of us. Not by power, he laid down his life and loved his enemies. Not by ascending to a throne, but by being lifted up on the cross. And then he gives every benefit of his kingdom away to us. We are given forgiveness. We are given an identity. We are given value. Now, because God's kingdom is one of love, it creates this strange tension within it, which is often referred to as the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. See, the expectation until Jesus was that you would have the now, the present age, where where we all live and life isn't right. And then the Messiah would come and a a salvation event would happen. And then the kingdom of God would come in its fullness and life would be perfect. See, this was the expectation of the people that Jesus was speaking to. But also you hear a lot of that language still today in, in religion, in politics, in social movements, that things are not right. But this event has happened or this leader has come and now we can live in the future kingdom. And the problem with that understanding and expectation is that when you're the one trying to make it happen in your life or in the world around you, there is no space for dissent and no space for failure. And that plays out as in cancellation or imprisonment and in history, the guillotine. And then ultimately, when utopia doesn't happen, it creates violence leading to despair. And you see that again throughout all history. But Jesus does something very different because he does not force his kingdom on everyone, but offers it to us. It means the kingdom of God is now, if you want Jesus to be your king, you can experience his rule and reign in your heart and life now. And that will affect how you start to live. It's personal, but it's not private and it is available to you today. But because he does not force it on everyone, the kingdom of God is not realized in its fullness. You could draw it like this. The present age continues, but the kingdom of God has broken in. The kingdom of God is now and not yet. It's already and on a way, on a way, if you like. And this is good news, because if we are honest, it's not just that the kingdom of God is now and not yet out there in the world. The kingdom of God is now and not yet in my heart. There are some parts of me that I allow God to be king of and there are other parts where I resist him. I'll say, yeah, I'll forgive them. I'm not going to forgive him. I'll obey you in this area, but let's not talk about that area of my life. And because Jesus loves us, he's patient with us. He's not like other kings and he slowly wins us over. It's grace all the way down. He knows you and he loves you. And whenever he asks us to do something costly, it's because he has our long-term best interests at heart. If I can return one last time to my grandmother's story, and I keep coming back to this because she's really old and she is really content. And so this is how I know that this works. Just after I was born, uh, my grandmother had had a stroke. And as she puts it, all the words just left her. They, They just fell out of her head. She could no longer speak and she had to learn again from scratch like a baby. And now, while she'll still beat you at Scrabble or any word search, she sometimes struggles with conversations. We'll we'll be talking and she'll just stop and and laugh and say, nope, the words are gone. That's the end of that. And I've often thought how, if she had not been obedient to Jesus' agenda, for her, her whole identity would have been about words and writing. And when they were taken away, what would have been left but because of her obedience to him there was so much more to her identity than just that it's the kindness of god that leads us into these spaces that do look costly but are in fact places of great blessing again jesus gives us a, a way to grow in our understanding of this he says see how the flowers of the field grow they do not labor or spin Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, gone tomorrow and thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? His kingdom is a kingdom of love. Your status in it is not based on your success, but simply because he loves you. Then the final reason Jesus gives us here to seek first the kingdom of God is that this is the challenge you were created for. God's kingdom is a kingdom of challenge. Now, putting God's kingdom first is a risk, but no one ever grew by protecting themselves from risk. It's a risk because the moment you seek God's kingdom, you'll bash up against rival kingdoms. We saw this vividly play out last year in politics, when you have a politician say, I've got the numbers, it causes a stir. When you have two people claiming to be president, the result is not peaceful. Jesus' teaching of the kingdom is ultimately what gets him crucified. It's risky. Uh, I saw a really vivid but encouraging example of this uh, a few weeks back. A a friend of ours, a guy who became a Christian on the last Alpha course here, and he, he worked in sales and marketing, and his company decided that in order to keep up with their competitors, They were going to lie about the product. And this guy said he he wouldn't have thought anything about it in the past, you know, just the job. But he said, having become a Christian, he said it just sat wrong with him. And And I was so wowed by this. He actually went to his boss and he said, this is wrong. To which his boss said, if it's a problem, then you can go find another job. That is the reality of seeking first the kingdom of God. It will sometimes lead you into conflict. But the good news is we don't just seek the kingdom, we also seek the king. And so he met with a friend who'd been mentoring him and they prayed together and he asked for wisdom and he decided to hold his ground. And he went back to his boss and this time his boss said, "Okay, then we won't do it. And in fact, his boss had been struggling with this too. And he realized they came to the conclusion that they didn't need to lie to their customers. He'd sought first the kingdom of God, but he'd done it in a righteous and respectful way. And though risky, he'd not only stood up for himself and held his integrity, he changed the whole course of the team and the way they were going to act too. This is seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and trusting that all these things will be added to you as well. And it is risky, but there's no way to avoid the risk. See, the choice isn't between seeking or not seeking. We are all seeking. It's the choice between seeking the kingdom of God or seeking the kingdom of me. And the main sign that I am seeking the kingdom of me is anxiety. The root of anxiety is when we try and control that which is uncontrollable, when we try and be king over that which he's not made us to be king of and and it doesn't work. Uh, This is why Jesus says, you know, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And the answer is no, I'm not in control of that stuff. Do you know what, I've never been to the doctors and listed my symptoms and the doctor responded, and have you tried worrying about it? It doesn't change anything. In our reading, Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. In other words, what you look at determines where you go. So in the same way that Jesus says, look at the birds and you'll know I provide and look at the the grass and the flowers and you'll know that I love you. I wonder if the thing that we need to consider that will persuade us to seek God's kingdom, this kingdom of challenge over our kingdom, our kingdom of comfort, is to look at ourselves to do a SWOC analysis of my kingship, and me being king of my own life. Because to be honest, I am not that good at providing for myself and everything I have comes from him anyway. I'm not that good at being kind to myself. And when I am, it's because he's inspired me to be kind. And when it comes to challenge, I oscillate between prideful ambition and sloth, mostly resulting in anxious indecision. When we think we can't trust him, to give us what is good. The truth is not that I don't trust him enough, it's that I refuse to doubt myself enough. When I think I know how to run my life, that is an act of total blind faith. There is absolutely no evidence for that statement being true. But because we're not trying to prove anything, because we enter his kingdom by grace, that gives us an opportunity to look at ourselves honestly, to make an honest assessment of ourselves, and then having looked at ourselves, say, Jesus, how about you be king? But as much as he's saying, look at the birds, look at the grass and look at ourselves, I think most of all, Jesus is saying, widen the lens of your life and look at me. Look, if if God didn't spare even his own son, but sent him to die for us, how much more Will he give you all things? Look at Jesus and what he's done for you and how much he loves you. Allow him to be your king. He will provide for you. He will love you and he has purpose and passion and vision and value for your life. He knows what you need more than you know what you need. Make him your king today. Amen. Amen. Why don't we pray now together? If worry is how we seek after the kingdom of me, then prayer is how we seek after the kingdom of God. So let's pray together, and you might like to stand wherever you are, uh, and you you might like to put your hands out as a sign to say, "Jesus, I want to receive what you've got." And we're going to pray for two things. First of all, if if you don't yet know that Jesus is the King of your life, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, the kingdom of God is available to you. The kingdom of God is now. It is here. It is available for you today. And so we're going to pray uh, if you would like to receive Jesus as King. And then we're going to pray if if you're, if you would already say you're a follower of Jesus, but there's an area of your life that you know you need his kingdom to invade. We're, We're going to pray into that as well. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we love you. We love what you do and the way that you do it. And We ask that you would come. Come, Holy Spirit, Spirit of King Jesus, come and fill us afresh. And if you don't know that you're a Christian, if you don't know that Jesus is your King, I'm going to pray a simple prayer now. and You can just echo this in your heart. And this is a step of faith and means you can know that you have entered his kingdom. So if you'd like that, just pray this after me. Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you promised to provide for me everything that I need. I would like you to be my king. I'm sorry for when I set myself up as ruler and king of my own life and I turn away from that now. And I ask that you would come and be king of my life. Send your Holy Spirit now to enable me to do this to walk in your kingdom life that you have for me. Amen.